offend me at all. If I had fried chicken in front of me, I probably would be eating too, so no offense taken. Um, my name is Justin Lesson. I work on staff here at First Presbyterian Church. In case we haven't met before or talked, I'd like to introduce myself. If I haven't met you, I'd love for you just to grab me when we get done just so I can shake your hand and meet you. But um, this morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible or have a Bible right there on your table, it's page 980. And so what you guys are getting there, uh, I think I would just like to say, I think that most of us realize that we could all probably benefit a little bit from just taking some time to slow down and look at our lives sometimes. Um, you should be careful. Some people do that and their entire life changes. So, but I think we could all benefit from it. Uh, one of the most famous American theologians and pastors in our nation's history is Jonathan Edwards. And when he was 18, maybe 19 years old, he sat down and thought about his life for a minute, for hours, and he wrote down a bunch of resolutions. He wrote down 70 resolutions when he was 18 years old, talking about what his life was going to be about. These were things that he was going to aim to do, aim to uphold, because he didn't want to waste his life. John Piper wrote a book that was a bestseller called Don't Waste Your Life. So obviously this is something we think about. Even an 18-year-old Jonathan Edwards was thinking about not wasting his life, so he wrote some resolutions down, 70 of them. I want to read you just a few of them to get us going this morning. Now, I've abbreviated some of these and updated them because... That English is not the southern English that we speak so well now. Uh, First one, resolved that I will do all I think or say to the glory of God and not to take into consideration my own comfort, profit, or pleasure. Another one, resolved to never lose one moment of time, but to use it to the most profitable way that I can. Another short one. Resolve to live with all my might. Think about that. That would be exhausting. Next one. Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were my last hour of life or right before the last trumpet blew. Resolve to think much on the brevity of life and the shortness of one's life. And the last one I'll read for you. You can tell he's kind of an intense guy. Resolved when I feel pain or the least discomfort to think of the pains of martyrdom and the torments of hell. Now, Jonathan Edwards was a man who thought about his life. He made these resolutions, and it had a profound influence on his life. I looked up his family tree. If you guys ever have a chance to look up Jonathan Edwards' family tree, it's rather impressive. Over 100 missionaries, something like 100 pastors... Over 100 lawyers, public servants, there's something like 60 college professors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors, three governors, three senators, and one vice president. That's just what we can find. I'm sure if you got on some of this Ancestry.com or something, you'd find more. But this is what his life with these resolutions kind of ended up. Obviously, God is playing a role in this. But the passage we're going to look at today here in Philippians chapter 1 is also a guy who had made some resolutions in his life, and it impacted everything. And that's what I want us to look at today is the resolve of Paul here in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 26. 
And if you look in your Bible, there's actually just a tiny little bit of verse 18 tagged on right there at the beginning of that paragraph. So we'll read that as well. So maybe 18b through 26. So if you have the Bible, um, read along with me or just listen. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all the progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may, be amp- may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, uh, we come recognizing that uh, we need you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see truth. Wisdom does not lie in us, but it is a gift from you. So we pray that you would give it to us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Like Jonathan Edwards, Paul had resolved to live his life a certain way. And I want to talk about what Paul's resolve was today. But on top of that, I want to talk about his resolve, the root of that resolve, and the reason for his resolve. So you want to think about this under three R's, the resolve, the root for the resolve, and then the reason. Let's consider the resolve first. This is where we'll spend most, the majority of our time. But before we get into resolve full bore, I want to set a little bit of the setting because this helps us understand what's going on. Paul is in prison at this point when he's writing to the Philippian church. This is not cozy house prison like we have today. This is not three square meals a day. This is not even a clean place. When you're in prison like Paul, the only food you got is what someone brought to you. And as you could maybe guess, there's not a lot of help for Paul when he's in a foreign place. In fact, they're sending someone a whole month's journey. It takes a month to walk here just to start giving him help. And uh, there's a new guy on the scene as emperor of Rome. His name happens to be Nero. Would later come to known as maybe the worst persecutor the church has ever known. So Paul is in Nero prison, the way I like to say it. And Paul has to be wondering if this is not his last stop before glory. Before going to see Christ face to face. Because there's probably about as equal possibility of freedom as there is execution. These are the two things that he's probably weighing. And on top of that, what's happening is around the Mediterranean, when Paul's in prison, there's all these other people who are now all of a sudden rising up as rivals trying to replace Paul in all the churches and all the places amongst the Gentiles. So all the ministry he'd been working for, people are undermining it, sometimes saying things he would never even agree with. So Paul is seeing his partnership in the gospel with the church at Philippi being threatened. He's alone. He's potentially being executed. And this is when Paul begins to talk right here in Philippians. So let's see what he says, because this is where I think we start to see his resolve. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and give you what I think his resolve is. And then we're going to look at maybe a few ways we see it in this passage. Here's what I'm going to say. It. So I'm going to read it to you. This is the summary of Paul's resolve. 
He is resolved that no matter what, whether in life or death, that he will magnify Christ. Whether by life or by death, he will magnify Christ. That is his resolve. Nothing will shake him from it. I think we can see this in kind of three different places right here at the very beginning in verses kind of 19 through 21. But let's look at, uh, well, actually the last little piece of 18 and then 19 is the first evidence that Paul has a resolve that says, no matter what, life or death, I'm going to magnify Christ. So, let's look at the first one. I'll read 18 and 19 to you again. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is the weirdest thing he could possibly start saying. I just explained to you what's happening, and he says, And yes, I will rejoice. You put Justin Lesline in that situation, rejoicing is not necessarily the first thing that would I, I'm probably grumbling, complaining, and trying to escape more than likely. But Paul is rejoicing. He's not, he's not rejoicing because he's in prison. He's not rejoicing because he's alone. He's not rejoicing because people are trying to supplant him throughout the Mediterranean as the, the head of the church, so to speak. Well, first of all, Jesus is head of the church. But as the planter and the, the apostle... He's not rejoicing. But look at what he's rejoicing in 19. He's rejoicing, for I know that your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. The prayers and the Spirit. Here's the thing, though. When we look at it, he's not saying he's rejoicing because those things are present. He's not rejoicing that they're there. It isn't that they are having prayers offered up and that he has the help of the Spirit. What he's rejoicing is in his result. The result is what he, he's rejoicing that it will turn out for his deliverance. He knows that it's through these things. The result that comes from the ministry of the Spirit and those who are praying from them for him is that he will be delivered. And that's why he rejoices. The end game. That's what he has in mind. As one commentator put it, it says, This imprisonment will turn out for his greatest welfare. For his greatest good. This is the deliverance we're talking about. Because, by the way, deliverance is not his salvation. Paul is completely saved man at this point. And we know by context from what we just read, deliverance isn't freedom from this jail cell. Paul is fine to die in this jail cell if that's what it needs to happen. It's not deliverance. The deliverance is that through these things, he would be able to magnify Christ. That's the deliverance. That's why he's rejoicing. His greatest delight would be that he might glorify Christ and testify to the gospel. He's convinced of this end. And then when we look at something like this and we consider this kind of resolve, I think it makes us pause for just a minute and start to think, what's my greatest joy? When life is really hard, what, what's, what's the thing that I'm rejoicing in? What am I hoping to get from this life? So the first of the three little ways I think we see resolve here is that Paul's resolved not to let circumstances hinder the fact that he is going to magnify Christ. So you can think about it this way. Circumstances are just the canvas upon which, it, on which Paul is going to paint this picture. It doesn't matter what's happening. He's going to paint the picture. He's just, this is just the canvas God has given him. So regardless of the situation, he sees no other end. The second way I think we see Paul's resolve comes in verse 20, and it's really building off of what we see in 19. 
Verse 20 says, That is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It's precisely because of what we looked at earlier, the fact that he knows the Spirit is helping him and he has the prayers of the saints upholding him, that he has a full expectation that he will endure, that he will endure faithfully through prison or persecution. Look what he says, eager expectation. It says hope. The best translation for that is well-intended hope. And then he says that he will not at all be ashamed. He has eager expectation, well-intended hope, and he's not at all ashamed. This man in his mind has resolved that he will suffer to any length in order that Christ may be magnified. I don't like that in 2015 America. I'm just Justin Lesline, who sits over there in a a cold office, you know, and when it's a thousand degrees outside. I don't like this sort of thing coming out of Paul's mouth. Makes me a little uncomfortable with my lifestyle. But Paul says that he will suffer to any length. And you see, he says, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. This has been the case for Paul. That's why he's in prison. (laughs) If he didn't want this life, he would never have been in prison. This has been Paul's resolve for a long time. Paul is saying that this vessel, his body, is completely surrendered to the cause of magnifying Christ in this world, whether it be life or death. There's another way to say this. The only way that this story ends is... Jesus being honored through me, it's just a matter of how God will determine the ending. That's what Paul is saying. Now understand what's actually happening right now. This is, you don't just wake up one day and start saying something like this. This is the power of the gospel at work in a human heart. This is a gospel-changed heart that says stuff like this. You don't do this unless the gospel has a hold of your heart in a way that's unusual. And think about what's happening. Nero, maybe the worst persecutor in church history, has been reduced to a pawn. All that Nero could do, he's been reduced to a pawn because of the power of the gospel in Paul's life. This drama has nothing to do with Paul and Nero. This is a conversation between Paul and a church and God. They're all talking about what's going on. Nero is helpless to afflict this man or this man's mission in the mission of Christ in this world. You kill him. I mean, I think later on I wrote somewhere in my notes, Paul just has to be the most annoying human being on planet Earth. It's like, you let me go, I win. You keep me in here, I win. You kill me, I win. But that's the message of the gospel, right? I win, because Jesus wins. Paul, Nero can't do anything. He can't defeat Paul. If Paul can be resolved to live for the gospel under these circumstances, how encouraging is that for us? Because that means that we can magnify Christ at work, in a really hard situation at work. We can magnify Christ in a struggling marriage. We can magnify Christ in the face of opposition. All of these things. So Paul was resolved not to let circumstances hinder the fact that he's going to magnify Christ But he's resolved to endure and suffer to magnify Christ. And so the last thing here under his resolve is the third way. And I think I'll start by saying that I have four kids. Um, There's something very sanctifying about having four kids at one point, five and under. 
And we have taken our kids to Disney World a couple times. That's another sanctifying experience in and of itself. Our girls are just getting to the point where they're tall enough to ride, like, the real roller coasters. And so when, like, Elsie gets ready, like, there's, like, these nerves, you know, and there's this excitement. And, like, it's Big Thunder Mountain. Like, this is different than the the mine train thing. So there's, like, this anticipation because it's going to be intense and it's going to be good. I I see it in her, and I know the feeling because I'm kind of feeling the same way maybe just a little bit. When I come to the next verse right here in our Bible, verse 21, we have, it's kind of like buckle up because this is intense and it is really good. And verse 21, everyone knows this verse. This is what Matt Chandler says. These are coffee cup verses. Like Everyone knows these and they go in mugs and we throw them around. But we sometimes miss like what's actually there. Look at verse 21. This is going back to his resolve. Now, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I I told you guys last week, I'm 35 years old. Wherever I go, whatever I do, today, tomorrow, after I'm gone, on a family crest, I don't know what it is. I hope that this verse follows me. I want this to be what's true about me. This is such a powerful statement and unequivocally reveals the resolve that Paul has. His life is to bring glory to Christ with all he does. This, what he says is absolutely resting. To live is Christ. That is to say, all his bodily life is Christ. You get your strength from Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You're humble like Christ. You're covered in Christ's righteousness. You know and enjoy Christ. You live for Christ's glory. You love Christ. As one commentator said, It's just the new and consecrated way of saying, I'm a slave of Christ. I belong to him, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And so to go on living means to magnify Christ and to enjoy him. That's great. That isn't where the the little verse stops, though, to live is Christ. The next thing's more absurd, and it says, and to die is gain. The, The literal translation there... It is, to die is more. Is it more of what? More of Christ. Like right now, I, I am united with Christ. If you're a believer, you are united with Christ, and you are in Christ, and you have Christ. But there is something missing, isn't there? It is seeing him face to face. So to die is more. It is more of Christ. And this is where Paul... You know, you start reading the next verses, you can tell Paul's juiced about this idea. If Paul were to honor Christ with his last full measure, to die in Nero's prison, that means he would glorify God and then he would be with him. Paul's more than okay with this. His life then, at that point, would be with Christ without hindrance, And there would not be a single action that he could actually render in heaven that would not be perfectly glorifying to God. Paul's longing for that day. Make no doubt about it. So what's Nero to do? This is where I told you. You can't do anything to a guy like this. Paul has resolved that death is actually better. What are you going to do? Paul can't be stopped. 
I don't know about you, but when I think about the resolve that Paul is demonstrating right here, right now, I find it inspiring and challenging. It's inspiring and challenging. It seems so difficult. Like, to live like that would be so difficult. It would cost so much. Yet, I think the sanctified part of all of us says, I want that. I want it. Because it's something about this Jesus reigning supreme in my life and being caught up in that story. I just want it. I want that more than all the other stuff. So far, it's quite easy to see that Paul's resolved to magnify Christ no matter what it looks like. And that should be the aim of every single believer. No matter where you are or what you're doing. But what allows Paul to do this with such joy, especially in the face of opposition has to be something that is extremely powerful. Like, if you think of this as a plant, there has to be a root that makes all this true. So what is the root of his resolve? Just like an alcoholic isn't going to be resolved not to drink until they make the resolution, like, until there's something inside of them that exists, a disposition or a belief that drives that to them to that point. Here is, let's look at this. I want to talk about the root of Paul's resolve. What is the root? Or what is in Paul that exists that causes such resolve? Let's look at verses 22 through 26. I want to reread it again since it's been a minute. It says, I am hard, or verse 22, sorry. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says that when he considers life in the body and life with Christ in glory, he's hard-pressed to choose. Um, that's really interesting if you just read verses 22 through 20. He says something in verse 23, and then he says he's hard-pressed. It makes no sense. In ver- it sounds contradictory to me. In verse 23, he plainly says that it is better, far better. Literally, he's translated, very far better to be with Christ than to be here, is what he's saying. But then he goes, well, it's a struggle. Huh? You just told me it's far better. Well, so what's the deal? Well, let's look at it. Paul says clearly to stay means fulfilling his calling as an apostle amongst the church. What does that mean? It means fruitful labor. It means progress in their faith in Christ. It means joy in their faith in Christ. And it also means the glory. what's at stake even is the glory that they would ascribe to Christ themselves because of Paul's ministry. Those are the things. If he stays fruitful labor... Progress in faith, joy in faith, and glory to Christ. So is the battle now between being with God and them? No. There's really not a battle. We've already settled this. 23. Being with Christ is far better. So what's the struggle? What's the problem? It seems like a no-brainer. The answer to this question, I think, is the root to Paul's resolve. Um... I don't have too much time to tease this out, but let me just read this to you. Because I, this is a note that I had wrote down. Paul isn't making decisions based upon what he wants. He has decided to place his life in the hands of God 
and said, Use my life however you will to bring yourself glory and advance your kingdom. The root of Paul's resolve is that Christ controls his life. His life, Paul's life, is not his to direct. It's Christ's to direct. He is to give it. So you see the inner turmoil that's happening in Paul. He's fighting what he wants and what might potentially be the call of God on his life. He doesn't know for certain one way or the other. He's anticipating, looking at circumstances, he might say. But if he had to choose, oh man, Mike, it's kind of, there's a turmoil inside of him. So however the king dispatches Paul, he's just saying, I'll do it. But he's on record as saying, being in glory is clearly preferable. He will serve with joy and faithfulness here on earth. So here's my proposal. The root of Paul's resolve is his complete surrender to the will of God and God's call in his life. He will do whatever brings God the most glory. You ever have that as your decision-making process? What will bring God the most glory? Not which one makes the most economical sense. Which one's most comfortable for me? Which is the easiest? What will bring God the most glory? What advances the kingdom the most? What promotes the gospel the most? These are the things driving Paul's decisions, not what's preferable to him. What is most preferable to Christ? That's what he's trying to figure out. This is the controlling drive in Paul's life. It's not about his own desires. It's about Christ's desires. So what's that mean for us, for me, for you? It means that until we're called home, we are to give ourselves to our calling and to our work and to our mission without reservation. If you're a mother, to the glory of God, with endurance and perseverance. If you're a father, the same. If you're a plumber, a businessman, a lawyer, nurse, doctor, factory worker, or pastor, to give God glory, to advance the kingdom and promote the gospel, our vocation, that is our vocation, that is our ministry, and that is what we do until we go home to the preferable thing. And so we, if we're not home, fruitful ministry, fruitful labor. And that is then... The question is, what does Christ desire me to do right here, right now? We do this because it's our calling. So Paul's resolved to magnify Christ with his life. The reason he's doing that is because Christ has complete lordship over his life. So what's the reason? Because we just saw Paul basically say what Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Not my will be done, but yours. When Jesus says, do I need to drink of this cup, this thing called the cross? And God's like, yeah, you do. And he says, okay. So that's the resolve. That's the root. Why? But why does Paul do this? There has to be a reason. There has to be a reason someone so recklessly surrender all the control of their life to someone. Well, the reason is the easiest and shortest answer of this entire text. The reason is because that's what the Lord Jesus does for us. Think about what I just said. I said that Paul is resolved to bring glory to God in his life and in his death, no matter what it looked like or what it would cost him. And I said that he was motivated to do this because he was committed to doing whatever the will of the king was, so that whatever would bring the most glory to God, whatever would advance the kingdom the most and promote the gospel, that was the driving force of Paul's life. Is that not what Jesus did? 
Let me read to you. I just try to jot down some things here. In light of what I just said, how does, what did Jesus do? He resolved to glorify God with every word and every action he ever did. To glorify God with his life and with his death. Jesus came on a mission. And the mission wasn't even his to determine the details. That was up to the Father. And Jesus had come on a mission that wasn't his to determine, and he submitted himself to the will of God. No matter what it would look like, even the Garden of Gethsemane. And he once again, he submitted himself not to what was preferable, but what was the will of the Father. And then Jesus did the one thing that would most glorify the Father, that would most advance the kingdom, and most promote the gospel. He died on a cross. See, Paul talked about all this full surrender and giving everything, magnifying Christ no matter what it takes. He's just following Jesus. He's just following the example of Jesus. And the task that the Father had given Jesus was simple. Bring home the sheep. Bring home the sheep. Do whatever it takes. This is a rescue mission. Do whatever it takes. Jesus, through his life and his death, not only brings glory to God, but he brings us to glory. It's a great rescue mission. It's the rescue mission that made Paul say, I want to do that. I want to be part of the rescue mission. I want to be on that team. I'll do whatever. I want, I'll, I'm going to give up whatever I can to see that that happens. Paul was an apostle. He was called to be a prisoner. He was pa- called to plant churches. You guys all came here from somewhere for lunch today from your calling, and you're about to go back there. And that is where you apply these principles to what you do. Let me close with this. This is an article written a long time ago by an atheist, okay? So not too often you hear a sermon closing with an article reading from an atheist. Bear with me. This is what he says, this atheist. He says, if I firmly believed as millions say that they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences the destiny in another, then religion would mean everything to me. I would cast away every, I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as folly, and earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep. I should labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the morrow for all eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand or seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its griefs would occupy no moment of my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would sow forth to that world and preach to it in season and out of season, and my text would be, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's a very enlightened atheist, isn't it? It's an atheist who read the Bible. This article caused perhaps the most famous person in England at the time to drop everything, give up all his wealth, and move 
CT stud dropped everything, went to India and China and Africa. How does the reality of Christ in the gospel change your life? Let me pray. Father, um, more than likely inside of us, or there's a longing and yearning to to be more given over to the things of you and to labor in your harvest field. But Lord, it's more than that. It's more than the labor. It is the enjoyment of you and the fact that we get to look forward to the day where we have the full consummation of our faith when we see you face to face. Pray that that consummation would change the way that we live right now, that we would be preparing for the place that we are going and we'd be preparing people for the place that we're going and that we would practice worshiping and enjoying you for that's what we will do with everything that we do once you come and get us. Thank you that these things are true. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.